Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there. And we are working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. There are many different worldviews, but I want to know Jesus' worldview. I want to know his opinions. I want to see his understanding. I want to look through his lens and his eyes to see how he views the world around us. And I don't know if you know, but this book, though it is ancient, its truths are timeless. It stands the test of time and somehow speaks to generation after generation It cuts through all the fog and gives us a true north. It is a compass. It is a guide to help us navigate through life. The psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is the flashlight that shows me where to go in the darkness. It helps me to see through, again, all the fog around me. There's a lot of chaos going on, a lot of fog going on, and we need something to tell us what is right and what is wrong. Everything is so confusing on this planet at times, and even myself, what do I do? I go back to the Word of God over and over and over again, renewing my mind in what God has said. If there really is a God, and if He really has created us, and really has given us a society families, marriages, and a life to live and designed it, if he is the designer of it, surely he knows how it works best. Surely he knows the right way it should be lived. Surely he knows the path to happiness and peace and joy. It's found in his word. That is the big question we need to always be asking about everything regarding the views around us. What has God said? And I challenge people all the time on this because a lot of times young people will say, well, my professor said this. That's great. I love your professor. Let's have a cup of coffee with him. I want to know where he gets this truth and why we should believe his truth. Well, my dad told me this. This is good. I'm thankful for your dad. I want to know where he gets his truth and why we should believe it. Well, my politician said it. That's great. I want to know where he gets his truth, what his foundation is. What is the source of truth? Where is it found? You have to go back to the one who has created it all. You have to go back to the foundation of the universe. God has, what has God said? And family. If you remember back to the Garden of Eden, the beginning of time, the beginning of the human race, what was the big question? What has God really said? What has God really said? Did he really say it's this way? Did he really say it's that way? The debate has always been about what he has said. It's in every conversation. It's in every view. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. Morality, how a society is ran, how a marriage is ran, all of it. What is the source of truth. We come back to God's word over and over and over again. That's why I've called it Jesus' worldview. 
I want to know what Jesus' view is on these matters. Do I want to know other people's views? Absolutely. I want to have that dialogue and conversation. But at the end of the day, I want to know what Christ has said, what God has said about these matters. And that is where I will find myself resting over and over again. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to work through verses 27 to 30. And as you're getting settled there, how about a little story? Heard of a story of a man who asked his wife, maybe you heard this one, what she'd like to be, I mean, what she'd like for her birthday. Man went to his wife, said, honey, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. What would you like for your birthday? And she said, I'd love to be six again. It would be fantastic. So on the morning of her birthday, he got up bright and early and he took her off to the local theme park. And what a day he put on for her. They went on all the crazy roller coasters upside down and all of the rest. Five hours later, she's staggering out of the theme park. Her head is reeling her stomach upside down. And right to McDonald's, they went. Her husband ordered her a big ordered her a Big Mac along with extra fries and a chocolate shake and a little Happy Meal toy with it. Then off to a movie with hot dog popcorn and soda and M&Ms. What a fabulous adventure. Finally, she wobbled home and her husband was looking at her and watched her collapse there on the bed. And he leaned over and lovingly asked, Well, dear, what was it like to be six again? When I opened, the wife said, You idiot. I meant my dress size. <laughs> yes. Want to be six again. Today we shed light on a topic our society kind of acts like isn't really there. The word almost sounds ancient when I say it. Here in Los Angeles and Bel Air, here we are. It seems to be removed from our vocabulary here in L.A., the word adultery. Instead, we call it a, a hookup or a casual encounter, a Tinder swipe. It's been reduced to not that big of a deal, so people don't really take it seriously, almost like swept under the rug. Let's, you know, it's, you know, it, it's just a fling thing, you know, it's, you know, yeah, they messed up. But we know how seriously damaging it can be when it leads to divorce. A broken home with kids messed up over adultery. And I want to I try to lighten the area here for just a moment. I want to tell you first up front that regardless of where you're at in this topic or this conversation, I want you to know that God loves you. And that he has offered abundant forgiveness from heaven. And he continues to do so. And if you've grown up as a kid and saw it in your family or you've experienced it yourself to some degree, I want you to know that God is powerful enough to keep loving, serving, and forgiving and restoring people, marriages, and families. And he does it over and over again. Praise God. He is a gracious king who does these things. But I want to talk about today what maybe our society won't talk about. They won't tell you the truth about these things. And it, it, it is a warning to us. And it is, it is something to wake up to once again because it's happening more than ever in our society today. People mess around with relationships, lust, and sex, and they wonder why our society can't stay happily married. 
Why so much adultery and cheating? And today Jesus will not only go after the issue of adultery, he'll approach our hearts on the matter once again to see where our worship truly is. Right, like a uh, topic of adultery is probably not for me, not something I need to focus on. Listen, it is always a matter of the heart. It is always a matter of what are you worshiping? And that is just one of the things that our hearts decides to worship from time to time. But it's always a matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always a matter of the heart. Jesus is speaking in conversation in our context to the Pharisee. The Pharisee again, the self-righteous one. He's going after that self-righteous person, going after their heart because they think, I'm good. I'm good. I'm blameless in society. And Jesus says, you look so good on the outside. Look at that robe. Man, you look holy today. It's all pressed and everything. Looks so nice. He says, let's take that robe off. Why don't we expose the heart? Show your heart to everyone around. Let's see what's really going on inside. Jesus goes after the heart. Why? Family, we can fake stuff on the outside and be sick on the inside. We need healing on the inside. That's what makes people beautiful anyways, doesn't it? The, the exterior will fade. But I, I challenge you, and I'm telling you, the most beautiful people on the planet are those that we know are beautiful on the inside. They've dealt with matters on the inside. And when we come in contact with them, we have a genuine we have a genuine interaction with them. We're blown away by it. We're moved by it. We say, man, I like that guy. I like that girl. That person is fantastic. We love lovely people. We don't like fake people. Fake people we discover are just being that. They're just working an angle, working something. Jesus goes after these guys. They were religious fakes. We are, in, we are in Matthew chapter 5, almost at Genesis. I said it so many times uh, for like a year. We're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. We're going to read a few verses together to 30. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Are you too comfortable? Is that okay? If you're comfy, you can stay seated if it's too much. But if you want to, you can stand for the reading of God's word. We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him. And to remember whose word we're reading. Man, isn't it beautiful out? Gosh, the sun is nice. My head is loving life right now. So nice. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus talking. Jesus is speaking. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it out throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell let's pray father we thank you for your word and jesus we thank you that you just, you tell us the truth. Lord, we worship you this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day. And we would ask that you would revive our spirits, revive our hearts. You'd clean out some of the cancer. You'd cut off 
some of the things that need to just go in life. Lord, do major surgery on us today. We want to heal. We want to restore. We want to move forward. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Remember, Bible students, we are working through six different statements where Jesus says to the people he is preaching to, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said in this society, but I say to you this. You have heard it said in this culture, but I declare to you this. Jesus says it six times, and he is bringing clarification to some of the issues. He quotes the law, the Old Testament, or pieces of the law, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, were consistently referring to. They would refer to it, but they weren't actually living it. And then he would turn around and quote them and what they would say, and then he would explain the true meaning of it. The religious leaders of that day were acting as if they had kept the law perfectly. Again, they looked very religious, very faithful, very holy, but they were dead on the inside. They didn't know God. They were hypocrites. Their whole religious act was fake, and Jesus was exposing it. I love that Jesus shows up. First off, he doesn't show up in religious garbs. He walks up to the religious crew, and there they are looking all holy in their garbs and their robes and everything. Jesus walks up with calloused hands. You know, he's wearing his carpenter outfit. He'd probably just been swinging a hammer. And he says, you guys say this, but I say to you. You guys declare a bunch of stuff that you tell people is from God, but I'll tell you what's really from God. Are you ready? They're like, what? Who's this carpenter? Jesus of Nazareth? Who do you think you are? And he speaks as one having authority because he did. And the people marveled. He levels the Pharisees over and over. He absolutely drops them. They don't know what to do. They're speechless. They're talking to the smartest guy on the planet, the wisest guy on the planet. The Lord Jesus himself. Jesus says to the crowd, you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. This is the same chapter as the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. That's what he's quoting. We know this one. We've heard it many times, which is, the, which is the exact quoting of the verse. So what's wrong with it? Why does Jesus have to clarify it if they're quoting it exactly? It's because the Pharisees reduced the law to a single act, an outward deed only. They were declaring to people, look at us. We have never committed adultery. We're still married. We would never mess around sexually outside of marriage. That's so wicked. And we have never have done that. We have kept the law perfectly. Look at how holy we are. Jesus says, uh-uh-uh. Let me see that heart. Let me see that heart. You're like, what? He says, that's not what God was saying back in the Ten Commandments. He's not just talking about oh, outwardly, externally, because people can put on a front. What is adultery and what law had the Pharisees kept outwardly? 
It is to commit a sexual act with someone outside of your spouse, an unlawful intercourse with another spouse. Now, if you didn't know, because we live in L.A. and everyone thinks this is so old-fashioned, the Bible clearly teaches right here that sex outside of marriage is sin before God. Don't stone me. They stoned Jesus back then for this kind of stuff. What? Don't you know about Tinder? What's wrong with you? What planet are you living on? Dude, you're old-fashioned. Are you seriously going to preach that in L.A.? Oh, you better believe it. Yes, because Jesus preaches it. That means you are not to have sex with anyone before marriage. Yes, you are to stay pure and virgins until marriage is one of the most beautiful things on the planet that can happen. That ain't happening anywhere. What planet are you living on? I'm living on a planet on Earth, the same place that Jesus spoke these words. And there are still people trying to stay pure and keeping themselves until they're married. God does not say no to sex. He just simply says, wait until marriage. This is very important. Sex is not God. We are not to teach people that in society. And we are not to teach kids either that sex is gross. Because it's not. Sex is good. It's not God. It's not gross. But it is a good thing that a married couple has been blessed with by God. It is a gift that he has given to married couples. And we need to teach it this way. We need to redeem it. We need to steal it back from culture, back from all these movies, back from all the media, back, take it all back. They've ran it in the mud, and we have all of these ideas about what it's supposed to be now. We've messed the whole thing up. If a couple comes to me and wants to get married and they're having sex before marriage, I'm going to ask them to stop, repent, and stay pure until marriage. What? Yeah. Why would you do that? Because Jesus says so. (laughs) What other reason do I need? How am I helping that couple? If they can't be obedient to God before they're married, how are they going to be obedient to him after? They're not even attempting to do so. Why would they attempt to do so after? All it is is a matter of obedience. And trust me, it is very difficult to stay pure when you are passionate about somebody and you love somebody. It's understandable. We get it. We're human beings. We have real blood in our veins. But my job as a pastor is not to be your best friend. It's to tell you the truth and to help you long term. And couples who have made attempts to do this or decided to make moves to do this, on the other end, after they get married, they're like, thank you. I'm so thankful we took those steps and we did that. Their testimony is beautiful. They say, no, we don't agree with that. Then I won't do the wedding. Done. That's okay. I don't need to do it. We love people and we want the best for them. And it is my job to stand in God's word. Maybe some say, well, we love each other and we're committed to each other. What's wrong with being intimate? It, it's, in, it, it's, it's natural. Of course you want this. Yes, it absolutely is natural. It's a beautiful thing and it's something that people should enjoy as a married couple. But when we're doing this before marriage, we are enjoying the benefits of a marriage without the covenant of marriage. And that causes problems. It happens. 
If people are living together before they're married, I ask them to separate as well until they're married. What's wrong with living together? Again, it's enjoying the benefits of marriage without the covenant of marriage, and that causes problems. Enjoying the benefits without the covenant. And, I mean, I got lists. Marriage counseling, I've been doing marriage counseling uh, probably 10, 10 years. I started doing weddings maybe 10, 12 years ago. Used to oversee a college ministry of like four or five hundred kids, and at one point they all just started getting married. It was like they were anywhere from eighteen to like thirty, thirty-three, and right around twenty-five to thirty, they just all started getting married. So I'm doing wedding ceremonies nonstop. I mean, weekend after weekend, and and this is it. it. You you see people people trying to enjoy the benefits of marriage without the covenant of marriage. What happens is. Each person starts leveraging the other to try to get something from the other. There's all kinds of weird things that go on in the world around sexual intimacy and around living together and all these things. And if you start looking at the details of just everything, a house, who pays bills, what happens in a relationship when when this happens in our home, and when there isn't a covenant in place, it becomes a selfish tug of war back and forth but watch this if there's a covenant in place both have established we're here forever and i can be selfless now i don't need to pull to get leverage to to in this home we're both in here together we're going to figure out how to work this out together long term and it's not living to get it's living to give it is a major major issue in our society the statistics are very high when people do these things, sex before marriage, cohabitate, and all, all the rest, and then get married, the divorce percentage actually goes up because of all of those things. The Lord has always been right. These things aren't a bad thing. Like, well, I got to test drive the car before I buy it, you know? I mean, this is important, right? I mean, I got to test drive the car. Yeah, no, no, no. The test driving is dating them and, yes, enjoying time with them and figuring them out. But I'm sure you're going to figure it out just fine once you get married, my friend. Anytime I look at contracts, especially ones like houses, you try to buy a house here in L.A., you're locked down for 30 years. You sign that contract, you're making payments for a long time. And if you default on those payments and you have to file for bankruptcy or something like that, you're locked in another seven years of bad debt. Yep, it's on your record. All of that for a covenant with a house. Think about how much more important a covenant with your spouse, a relationship. You're making a lifelong commitment to somebody, and I want it to work, and I don't want to get divorced. Divorce is chaotic. It's terrible. It's a nuclear bomb going off. It's so difficult. I'm just going to wipe this person off the planet and never see them again, and then they're magically there for the rest of your life. How are you still here? We got divorced a long time ago. Exactly. It's always there. That's why God says he hates divorce. He actually says that in the Bible. I hate divorce. One of the most beautiful things is to see an old couple who's been married 30, 40, 50 years walking in the park still holding hands. Oh, what a treasure that few find in this society. What a mountain that few climb. It's not because it's been easy. It's because they have forgiven each other thousands of times. 
And you can't buy it. You can't buy it. You've got to work hard at walking with God day in and day out, receiving his love and forgiveness and pouring it on your spouse. That's beautiful love. And that's what we need to redeem back in this society and teach to our children. God's not okay with people sleeping around outside of marriage. Why, you ask? Because we were designed, family, to have a deep, intimate relationship with one person, not many. We are not to expose or give ourselves away to many people. There, the more we give ourselves away, the less we have to give. Go look into the eyes of a prostitute. Have they arrived? No, sad. It's gone. They have nothing to give. Can God restore that? You better believe it. He has and he can and he will. But it's a person who chooses to start walking with him. We live in a society where people hook up everywhere like it's no big deal. But it is to God. He sees everything. Sin before him. And of course, sin leads to hell on earth and hell in eternity. And Jesus actually uses the word hell two times in three verses, four verses. Two times. Jesus never says hell. Uh-oh. Got to read your Bible again. To share intimacy, family, with another person is supposed to be a very special thing between two people who have committed their lives to each other. A secret place, which they share together with no other person. It is a physical expression of deep connection and love you have for each other. It is a renewing of your commitment and covenant to one another. It is a secret place of blessing for one another that no one else is to ever know about. That's your special place with your spouse. Instead, this has turned into a place of recreation for the world we live in. And there is no deep intimacy in the world. Instead, sex is casual and abused. It's used as a mechanism to get things. Both men and women do this. Men don't look for a relationship. Instead, they look for a one-night stand. Looking for a meal to satisfy an appetite. It's nothing close to a warm fireplace. It's like showing up at a fast food joint. Men give love for sex, ladies. Men give love for sex in the world. And women give sex for love. Yeah, you see it all the time. Both parties abusing each other. They give to get. I'm going to get something. That's a wrong mindset. That's backwards from the way God designed it. It's, it, is not, it is not a meal or something to go and get. It's supposed to be a covenant. It's not a selfless act of blessing for your spouse, but a self, selfish act to get something. And this is the major difference. I want you to remember those words, selfless and selfish. Think about the mindset of intimacy in this day and age. The, even, the fact that we even say things like that, I have to test drive the car first. It sounds like you're going in to get something for you. It's all about you. Selfish. You're not focused on blessing the other person. You're focused on you. It's a backward mindset of intimacy. This is a gift you give to each other. You're not focused on yourself. You're focused on the other person. And that is the saddest thing. When you get that backwards, it's all about me. And my needs aren't being met. And I'm not being set. All of these things. 
That is a downhill spiral. And the world has groomed us for this. I'm telling you the truth. I want you to know the truth because it's going to bless your marriage long term. It's going to bless your relationship. Why don't you go into the mindset, I just want to bless my spouse. Proverbs 5.15 says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife, your spouse. Why spill the water of your springs into the streets having sex with just anyone? The proverb, Solomon says this. You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Never share it with strangers. Single ladies. Oh, the single ladies. Single ladies. You want to know if a guy really is committed to you and loves you and is committed to obey God? Tell him you're not having sex with him until you're married. See if he sticks around. Wow. He's all of a sudden not around. Do you really love me? Or, well, you're not. Well, get committed to me then and let's, let's get married. Well, I don't know. Solve a lot of problems in this society real fast. Straighten up men real fast. Get those ducks in a row. Get that life locked in order. The Lord Jesus is returning to the earth for a pure bride, a pure church. And look, we are not a perfect people, but we are made pure and righteous because of Almighty God. And look, we have failed greatly in these areas as a church and as a society. What do we need to do? Turn to God. He's ready to forgive. He is ready to show grace, as he always has. And family, it's my job and duty to call you to your God. Let him do a work in you. Let him restore all of that purity in you. Let him do all of that work in you to bless you long term. Life is already hard enough. We don't need to make more problems for ourselves. No wonder we have so many divorces in this day and age. There's no more closeness in relationships, no more intimacy. Sex is being treated as selfish means of satisfaction instead of an intimate renewing of your covenant. I like this term, renewing of your covenant, connecting with your spouse, enjoying one another. And because the deep connection of covenant and intimacy is lost, when someone else comes around that is attractive... The selfishness, sinful flesh of a person takes over and people commit adultery. That's how it happens. Because there's no renewing of the covenant with my best friend. Renewing of the covenant with my lifelong friend. When someone attractive comes around, who makes me feel good about myself, compliments me a little bit. I'm like, oh, I really like that. And it starts off very subtle. It's not that big of a deal. Man, I'm just like that person. Before you know it, you get lured in and away from because the covenant is being broken. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Maybe a text you haven't heard before, but you can highlight it. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 
Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may be devote, devoted to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Married couples, renew that covenant often. How much is often? Uh, I don't know. Talk it over with your spouse. I don't know. Figure it out. We've got to figure out what it looks like to be intimate. It may change over the years. It may be different over the years. I have no idea. And I'm not here to be a, some sex therapist and try to talk through intimacy with each couple. That's not my job. My job is to point you to the Word of God. You figure out what that looks like so that your hearts are knit together, so that the friendship is there, the covenant is there. It is so important. It's amazing how much. It's amazing how much a simple renewing of the covenant reconnects people so deeply. It's physical, emotional, and spiritual. All of that is there when it is with God. It's not God to be worshipped. Sex, nope. It's not gross. We stay away, far from that. No, no, no. It's a good gift from God that he has blessed marriage relationships with. Proverbs 5.18, let the wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her body satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. I love that. Be captivated by the love of your spouse. Nobody else. Sorry, I ain't got time for you. No, I don't. You're rude to me. Sorry, I don't have time for you, coworker. Nope. I'm captivated by the love of my spouse. It's not going to happen. Draw lines in the sand. Make sure you're captivated over and over. Family, set a date night and keep that baby going. Figure out what it looks like. Well, it's hard in our house, you know. You got to figure it out. You know your house. I don't. Is it a walk in the park? Is it a a movie together? Ordering your favorite meal? I don't know what it is in this day and age, but you got to figure it out. Figure out date night. Keep being captivated by love for one another. Hebrews 13.4. Let the marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. God's serious about this stuff because it seriously messes people up. If you've ever been cheated on or you've ever gone through something like that, you know it is unbelievably heavy. It's an unbelievable weight that people, they cannot carry. It's so difficult to work through. Proverbs 5.21, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. Thank you so much. Yes. Give her a hand, huh? Thank you so much. Yes. Got some water. I receive it. I will drink that. Thank you. Proverbs 5.23. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. This is adultery. Any kind of sex outside of a, ma- a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Not my words. It's from Jesus. You have to argue with them. That is adultery. More water. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And the Pharisees are like, we haven't. But Jesus goes after them to expose them. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
with intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Pharisees were saying, again, just as long as you have don't have sex with anybody outside your own wife, you've kept the law. Jesus says, no, that's not the true meaning of what's being said. How can someone's reasoning be, it's okay for me to be intimate with someone in my mind and in my heart who is not my spouse, just as long as the act doesn't happen physically? What sense does that make? It's the same as saying it's okay to murder somebody in my heart and hate them deeply with bitterness, but never murder them. It starts in the heart, and God sees a man just as guilty of adultery if he has already lusted and had sex with someone other than his wife in his heart. This is the point Jesus is making. The act is already committed in the heart, and if nothing was to stop the person, no repercussions, no people around, and nobody would ever get hurt, no one could ever possibly find out, that person would probably find a way to live out that act. That's the point. Jesus says there's only all of these exterior reasons, once again, why you wouldn't do that. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus is saying to the Pharisee, you commit the act in your heart because you don't want anyone to find out. You don't want to be shamed. You don't want to be looked upon as unholy, but this is hypocrisy. This is the the actor of, a, of Christianity. You fool people, but you can't fool God. God sees the heart, and you're already guilty and exposed. He sees that you would commit the act if you could. He sees you, could, you commit the act in your heart and mind already. The mind and the heart are very, very powerful. What a man thinks, so he is. The way that you think. Your worldview produces a lifestyle. Yes, it all starts in here. And when we start there and start thinking that direction, family, we are baby steps in the wrong direction. It starts here and then it produces to outward. That's why the thought and the mind and the heart, it's so important to keep under control and focused on God. The Greek word lust, epithemeo. To set the heart upon, to long for, to covet, desire, to lust. It is the commandment, thou shalt not covet another man's wife. You say, well, that's not another man's wife. She's single. I can lust after her. Uh, Well, she's not your wife, so no, you can't. She must be another man's wife if she's not your wife. Lust is dangerous because it starts with one thought, and if that thought is entertained, we can then find a man or woman destroying their whole family. Starts with a thought. Isn't that crazy? One little seed, and before you know it, you find yourself on a road you thought you could never get to. We can find a single person stuck in lust, And they are never able to find true love. Listen, this is very important. Single people, we love you. I was single for a long time. Praise God, I'm not anymore. Thank you, Lord, for my wife. She's awesome. She puts up with a lot. So thankful for her. Gosh, what a blessing, what a gift from God to me. I'm so thankful for my wife and my family. Single years were fun, but treacherous, and I'm sure even more so here in L.A., 
I'm sure we have. I, I was going to do a joke, but I won't do it. It's kind of sad. It's a, it's mean in L.A. It works in Riverside, great. In L.A., it doesn't work so good. Here, this is the joke. I say, all the single people, raise up your hand. How many singles we got here? And everybody's like, woo, yeah. And then I'm like, look around, look around, look around. Because I want single people to find other single people in the church. It's probably the best place to meet somebody in the church if you do. But single people, listen. We can find the single person stuck in lust and they are never able to find true love because their mind and heart are stuck in lust. They confuse lust with love. And the society has confused it so much with movies and entertainment that they can't see what real love looks like anymore. And when real love comes along, sacrificial, forgiving, life-giving, selfless love comes along, say, well, she doesn't look like the one in the movies, so nope. He doesn't act like the one in that film, so nope. We have these false ideas. It's the problem with porn and sex-filled movies. They give you a false reality of sex and two people who really love each other. These movies and TV shows make you think your wife needs to look or act like that. Or if your husband was only more like that romantic comedy. (laughs) We adopt false realities in our minds and are disappointed by each other. Then start saying things like, I don't think I love you anymore. I don't think this is going to work out. When you have true love sitting right in front of your face. Go talk to an old couple who's been married 30, 40 years and ask them what true love is. I dare you, this week or next week, find somebody who's been married for a really long time and just say, what, what, how do you define true love? And contrast that with what the television is telling us, what the media tells us. We adopt false realities in our minds and are disappointed by each other. Was it love or lust? One day you wake up and realize you're married to a sinner. Did you know that? I always tell young people, hey, just find a sinner and marry them. They're all sinners. All of them. Even the nicest ones. They're all sinners. Every single marriage. Do you know one out of every one marriage will find themselves sinning against each other? Did you know that? No way. That couple doesn't sin against each other. Oh, yes, they do. They have sin in their veins. We're all in the same boat. So I say, find a sinner who loves God and is forgiven by him and wants to walk with God all the days of his life or her life. And you guys have some interests that you love and enjoy together and marry him. Get on with it. What are you waiting for? The Bible, the words of God tell you the truth. True love is not a hundred lustful nights in a row. It's a person who loves you so deeply they have They have forgiven you thousands of times like God forgives you. That is true love. And that's the person you want to share intimate, trustworthy moments with. Someone who can give and will give all of themselves to you. And watch this. Someone you can give all of yourself to them because you trust them. Because they keep forgiving you like God forgives you. Someone you can give all of yourself to. It's found in a God-fearing, living marriage and covenant where both parties are safe, no leveraging to get, only loving to give. No leveraging to get, only loving to give. 
that is the heart of God. And that's what's most beautiful to me. Look, I think experiences are absolutely fantastic. I, you know, I love travel. I love goofing off and doing fun stuff and having all those fun experiences with my wife. It's an absolute blast. All that stuff is surface. All that stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't cause long lasting love. You know what really does? The reason I love my wife so deeply is because she has forgiven me deeper than anyone has ever forgiven me on the planet. There is no one else like her. No one who has put up with more of me than anyone on the planet. And that is amazing testimony to me that her love is constant and gracious. And that is what makes the treasure so valuable. Yes, she's absolutely beautiful. Yes, we have a blast together. And yes, she likes the beach like I do, which is a plus. But man, if she just stops forgiving me one day, that's it. True love is nonstop forgiveness. And the reason marriages don't last is because somebody says, I'm not going to forgive you. It's that single moment. I've seen a lot of marriages, a lot of weddings, and I've seen a lot of divorces. How do you know that person's going to forgive you for the rest of your life? How do you know? The only way that you can have certainty is because they have a deep relationship with the God who forgives them for the rest of their life. They are tasting of his forgiveness. By the grace of God, they will pour that forgiveness upon you. Your mind will be blown. Your heart will be blown. You're forgiving me again. Oh my gosh, I love you more. Thank you for being so good to me. And the adventures and the experience and the treasure deepens over and over and over. And when 30, 40, 50 years pass, you say, wow, we've been through a lot. Wow, we've forgiven and been gracious. And the love has grown deep. Praise God. You have to be careful. We need salvation. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about salvation. It's not an experience to be received so much as it is a life to be lived and a Christ to be followed. A person who has a lifelong commitment with the Lord Jesus, that person is valuable. All people are valuable, no doubt, but I'm talking about in a marriage relationship for you, for your spouse. You need to know that that person prays. You need to know that that person knows God. You need to know that person understands God's covenant and desire for relationship. When we believe on Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're making a decision to follow Him all the days of our life with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not an experience. It's a life commitment and covenant to the Lord. You see, the one problem is that we all got sin in our veins, and we're going to magically sin from time to time in major ways. And you need to know that someone is tasting of God. Praise God that he has brought forth salvation to forgive us of sin and bring us into relationship with him. John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A relationship with God. Acts 3.19 says, repent. That means just turn away from living sinfully. Turn to God with all of your heart. Have a relationship with him. The times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. Look at the final verses here, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, Jesus says, tear it out and throw it away. It's kind of vicious, huh? 
It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Jesus points out the most precious body parts. Did you see that? Your right eye and your right hand. You lose an eye and a hand, you have lost a lot according to the body. He's not actually saying pluck out your eye or cut off your hand physically. No. You're like, oh, great, i got to go home, get the butcher knife. Uh, don't do that. Some of you ladies are like, yeah, I'm going to pluck my husband's eye out. I can't wait to do that. No, no, don't do that. He is saying it is better if some of your translation more profitable if you were to lose your right hand or lose your right eye than to be thrown into hell than to experience hell on earth and to find yourself separated from God for all of eternity <clears throat> some people say how does that even happen how can adultery even happen in a marriage once again it starts with a thought but before you know it it could be the eye or the hand that is causing these problems. And Jesus is saying, cut off those things before you find yourself in hell on earth. Before you find yourself separated from God for eternity because you follow your selfish desires in the eye and in the hand. Cut those things off. Get those things out of your life. Watch out for those things before it destroys you. I'll never forget, this is probably, again, like 15 years ago or something, a mega church pastor... It's a pastor of like a 20,000 church congregation. He was caught with prostitutes and uh, of, a, of a well-known church and in our circle of churches. And I remember sitting in the pastor's meeting with the other pastors and all us young guys were looking around just thinking like, how, how does this even happen? How could somebody on that level overseeing that many people, how could they even get there? And one of the pastors spoke up and said this. I'll never forget it. He says, a bird doesn't make a nest in your hair overnight. One twig at a time builds a nest in your hair. I was thinking, that's exactly it. A great question. How could a bird ever build a nest in your hair? You're like, I'm, especially me, right? <laughs> You're like, that's never going to happen. I'm going to notice that. One twig at a time. One small blade of grass at a time. How did he get there? It started with a thought. Then the eyes, then the hands. Jesus said, cut it off. Cut it off before you find yourself in hell. And that's exactly what's happened to this pastor. Sadly, he's lost everything. His church, his family, his kid I mean, everything. A mess. All because of a thought. Jesus says, cut it off. Cut off anything that is even beginning to grow into sin, family. If you see one little weed growing up there in your garden, rip that thing out and throw it away. Sorry, I ain't got time for that. Hey, you're a great person. You're fantastic. But here's the line. Protect what is most valuable to you. Don't let anything get between you and your family. Cut out the cancer before you find yourself in hell on earth. All it takes a little bit of cancer, huh? Take over your whole body. You better, you better get the surgery now. Get it out before it takes over. We understand these pictures. Jesus says, cut off the hand, cut out the eye. Stop it from happening, whatever it is. 
I'm going to leave you with, are you ready? Six, I'm going to rapid fire six things to you, okay? To close our sermon, practical things. How to stay away from adultery and lust. Number one, it's Jesus or that idol. It's Jesus or that idol. If you want to write it down, you can. It's causing you to sin, that idol, anything that gets in the way of my relationship with Jesus, cut it off. No matter what person, place, or thing, eliminated. Jesus is saying it's better to be crippled in this world than in the next one. If it's the iPhone, if it's applications, if it's the internet, if it's a computer, if it's a TV, it's a movie, it's a theater, it's the radio, places you go to, somebody at work, some interaction over here, cut it off before you find yourself in destruction. This is your warning. God has sent me to you today to tell you this. You're the only one who knows. The repercussions of sin are always greater than what you can handle. No, I can handle this one. No, you can't. The depths of darkness is not fun. Nobody wants to go through that. Mark 8, 36, Jesus says, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Cut it off. Number two, watch and pray. Watch and pray and the word. How did Jesus resist temptation? By quoting scripture to himself and believing God at his word. Remind yourself of God's word often. I quote scripture to myself all the time to remind myself of God's word and what he has said. Psalm 119.11, the psalmist said, I've hidden these words in my heart, O Lord, that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Remember, we had an accountability group when we were single guys. It's like 15 of us, right? And we would memorize portions of scripture every single week and hide them in our hearts. Then sometimes we'd be walking around and all of a sudden like some girl in a miniskirt walks by. You hear one of the verse, one of the brothers quoting verses in the back. Psalm chapter one, verse one. Trying to get his mind focused. Remember a pastor told me, he said, if you're having a lustful problem at night, brothers, or something's going on, start praying for church members. Just start praying, pray for 15, pray for 20 until all of those thoughts take them captive and they leave you. We live in a society full of lust and sex. This society is packed. This is right here, LA. This place is gnarly. It's nonstop. It's everywhere. You have to fight against it or you'll be consumed. Accountability with a group of brothers. Special. It's good. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The more you worship the Lord Jesus, the more you will run from sin. It's that simple. More of God will produce less of sin. You don't need to focus on no sin. Okay, stop sinning. Don't focus on sin. Uh, Don't focus on sin. Don't lust today. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that. Not going to do that. What do you end up doing? You do it. Don't focus on not doing it. Focus on God. Wash your mind in his word. Listen to worship music. Walk with him, and it will keep you from the enemy. Point number three, if you're taking notes, train yourself to hate evil. Hate what is evil. There was a documentary here on, uh, I don't know, one of the streaming services a little while ago on divorce. They exposed how sad and how dark the legal and all the crazy stuff that goes on. And it kind of like takes you through how dark the situation was, and it was just it was just a loud warning once again. Never to go there. And if you've been there, to never go there again, to stay far away. Train yourself to hate evil. 
1 Corinthians 9, 27 says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Little tip. Are you ready? Little key tip here. You want to get your body under control? You have an addiction? You have something that you can't uh, get away from? Whether it's in the mind, in the heart, substance, or whatever? Fast. Fast. Tell your body, no, stop eating for a day. Tell your body no all day. Tell your body no for two days, I dare you. Tell your body no for three days. You tell your body no for three days, what do you think you might be able to tell your body on the fourth day? No. My body desires that. It wants that. I was born feeling this way. Okay. I was born feeling this way too. Now get those feelings under control. You don't get to live in rebellion against God just because you feel something. I feel like killing that person. I'm sorry. That's wrong. I feel like cheating on my spouse. I'm sorry. That's wrong. Discipline your body. An ancient art we need to get back to. Fasting and praying, training your body. Point number four, if you're taking notes, you're not alone in this. You're not alone. Brothers, Sorry I keep speaking of the brothers, ladies, because I'm, I'm a guy and I, I obviously understand exactly what's going on in the heart of mine and man. 99% of you are struggling and have struggled with lust majority of your adult life. Nailed it. How do I know? Because I counsel brothers day and night who confess these things to me over and over and over and over and over and over again. And women struggle with it as well. Adultery and lust... a whole nother sermon. I won't get into it, but do you know what I'm saying? Get accountability. Family, men and women, you should have one, maybe two people on the planet you fully trust and confess everything to. They know so much about you, they could throw you in the loony bin, maybe. Find one or two people you trust and can tell everything to. You need to vent. We all need to. We all need this. We got to vent. We got to be honest. We need somebody to pray for us and encourage us and tell you you're not crazy. You're just working through life like everybody else. Okay? Number five, starve the flesh. I already talked about this a bit, but starve the flesh, the spiritual flesh. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Starve the flesh, feed it with God. Galatians 5, 16, so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What's the flesh? Stop filling your mind and heart with trashy music. (laughs) Stop. That's not helpful. It's like later on when you're like trying to be holy and stuff, you're like in church and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's good music. How'd that come in there? Stop watching trashy stuff. It's like you're here in church, you're trying to worship God, and all of a sudden these images, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Every time you fill your heart or mind with with the things of the world, it's like giving the enemy grenades to throw at you later. Oh, thank you. Oh, you watching that? Oh, you taking that in? Oh, I got a good one for you later. When you're out trying to love your spouse, I'm going to throw this bomb on you. Are you ready? Starve the flesh. Stop listening. Stop looking at. Stop being around. Get away from those things. Finally, number six, look to the faithful one. Let's everybody look at the sky. Come on. The sky is not the faithful one, but the creator of it. When's the last time you looked at the sky? It's been a little while, huh? 
We always forget to look up. It's refreshing. When's the last time you laid in the grass and just looked up at the sky? You're like, actually, I've been doing it the entire sermon. It's been nice. I haven't been listening to you, Pastor. Been... Look to the faithful one. He's more faithful than the moon and the stars. He's more faithful than the sun rising every single day. You know who's been the biggest adulterer on the planet? The church. The church has cheated on God more than any. The church has worshipped other gods and other ways and other things, and they cheat on Him over and over and over. And who is the faithful one? Why isn't the church divorced? God stays faithful. Wow. He's an amazing king and he's an amazing God. Do you know that he went to a prophet named Hosea and said, Hey, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. He's like, what? Hosea, my prophet, I want you to marry a prostitute. Why? Because I want you to declare to the people the relationship that I have with my church the church is like a prostitute going and sleeping around with all of the things of the world, and they come back to me over and over and over again. And guess what God does? He remains faithful to you and faithful to me despite our rebellion. Is that an amazing God or what? Why would he do this? I'll tell you why. He loves you. He's for you, and he's not going anywhere. He's made a covenant with you. He's made a marriage relationship with you, and he will stay married to you for all of eternity no matter what. And that is a God I want to love. That is a God I want to serve. That is a king I will follow forever. If you want to run away from God and sin, God is sad because it just messes up your life, and he has to watch you go through all kinds of chaos. But know this, your God will stand there faithfully all the days of your life. He's not going anywhere. He's just waiting for you to come home. He's waiting for you to come back home. You want to go out and prostitute and hang out and do all that? He'll be waiting for you when you get home. He loves you that much. He wants you to stop running from him. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, even when we don't believe in him, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. If you haven't heard it loud and clear, let me say it once again. God loves you. And he does not just declare it. He says, I am committed to you forever. It's an amazing king. And that makes me more than ever want to get away from all the sin that destroys my relationship with Him. Can we pray? Can we go before the Lord? Can we ask Him to minister to us and work in our hearts? Let's return to our God. Let's return to our relationship with Him. I want to read this scripture as we're in a position of prayer. Can we bow our hearts, bow our heads in prayer? I want you to hear this this psalm. Allow it to minister to you this verse. Let's pray. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we ask that you would search us now. You would know our hearts. 
You would see what's going on inside. And Lord, we want to confess to you, we're sorry for running to other gods. It makes us sick. It messes up our relationships. It messes up our families. And Lord, you just want the best for us. And so we gladly turn to you now. And we gladly turn back to one another. We ask that you would forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of all unrighteousness. Save us, Lord. Please be faithful to the next generation. Please, Lord, be faithful to our children. Lord, help us to teach them by example what it looks like to forgive and love and be gracious. What it looks like to be selfless in a relationship. Lord, teach us your love. Help us to pour it on one another. I pray for everyone here today that you would revive our hearts, that you would start a healing in us that we need so deeply. You would break us free of all of this sin that tries to entangle us here in L.A., this culture. Lord, help us to stand against all of these wicked ways of the culture trying to coerce us into gentle sin and easy ways of darkness. We stand against that, Lord. We do it in love. We ask that we would be a shining light of example in this city, that people would see our good works and glorify you. They say, how do, you, how do I get that kind of marriage? How do I get that kind of relationship? How do I get that kind of family? Lord, that we would be your beacon of light in L.A. Use us for your glory. Heal us, Lord. We choose to walk with you humbly this day, this week. Heal our church, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen.